Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. It's all getting rather predictable now, isn't it? Another week, another big win for Ulster. Maybe this is what it's like to be Leinster. With me, Gareth Hammond, to discuss the victory over Glasgow and look ahead both to provincial and international duty this weekend are Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, how's it going? And Michael Sadler. Hello, Michael. Hello there. First of all then, guys, that uh, so it was a 40-15 win over Glasgow. Third bonus point win in three home games. And a second in a row is wrapped up before halftime. So, Jonathan, much like we discussed last week, probably a combination of Ulster being good and the opposition being below power, to say the least. Yeah, like I think, funnily enough, I think Glasgow actually played fairly well in comparison to what the expectations are for their team, given yeah. just how many players have lost to Scotland. Um, you'll have seen, no doubt, that in sort of coded language almost there's some upset over Gregor Townsend having such a big Scotland squad um, and not releasing players back obviously due to bubbles and Covid situations that um, both Glasgow and Edinburgh have lost an awful lot more players than they maybe think they strictly need to at the minute mm-hmm. and while there's still you know the likes of Ryan Wilson or Matawali or even TJ Oney who uh, was fairly prominent like there's an awful lot of young inexperienced players around them like this is not uh, you know this is not the Glasgow of five years ago it's not the Glasgow of two years ago I think we talked about that last week just in the preview that it you know it wasn't the, going to be the Warriors of old and so it proved like this started fairly well but once Ulster ans- answered that like I suppose the real difference was Glasgow still did have opportunities and create opportunities but Ulster essentially created five opportunities in the first half and took four of them and that's you know the game wasn't over at half time if Glasgow had got the next score I think but once uh, once Ulster did what they didn't do against Dragons and have a good start to the second half you know the game was up after whatever it was 50 minutes mm-hmm. so Michael last week we had sort of uh, we had wondered about um, just how interesting entertaining or otherwise it was to be winning games with such ease what do you think is this uh, enjoyable as a an Ulster onlooker well winning is always the preference Gareth you don't go out to lose now, <laughs> yeah. or out of observe defeat but as um, sport do you my, not want a bit more of a contest well my only concern would be you know at this stage um, that I think um, the, the side that I think has caused them perhaps more issues and I think this is probably a fair point was Benetton um, now it hasn't been one way traffic in all the games you know, it was tight enough with Cardiff mm-hmm. Blues but they are winning and coming through and you do wonder whether or not when you certainly when you look at the, the, the two conferences of the situation uh, they're so far ahead now uh, with Leinster and even if you look at Conference B as well they're, they're so far ahead that you would wonder just how how good this will be for them going forward when they are when they reach a really significant challenge in front of them, say in the Champions Cup, or dare I say it, when they play Leinster, and um, if if Leinster, you know, are are a bit loaded. Actually, Leinster don't even have to be a bit loaded. What am I talking about? But you know, maybe this is all part of it as well. That you know, Dan is trying different combinations out, making changes, trying to build the sort of strength and depth to follow the the market leaders, Leinster. But yeah, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what other people would feel, but I would feel a little bit concerned that they're not that they need to to be challenged perhaps more, and they need to find themselves, you know, in a situation where they really have to dig something out, um, as opposed to what we have seen. Mm-hmm. But I do think you have to acknowledge the distinction between us and fans, like you know, you and. <laughs> I say Ulster onlookers, which is a term that I suppose includes both. Like, yeah. from my perspective, certainly repetition of either good or bad is boring because <laughs> it's not interesting to write about. And if it's not interesting to write about, then it's not interesting to read about. Yeah. But from a fan's perspective, like, they won't care at all. Like, no. did you care? Like, you know, did you care last year when Liverpool were winning every game before <laughs> Bill? There wasn't a party that was like, well, I maybe like a little bit of a closer <laughs> game just to make things interesting, you know. 
No, absolutely not. And on that point, there's absolutely nothing that Ulster can do about this. Like Ulster, or uh, it can only beat what's in, in front of them. So, what can we take, uh, performance wise from this game, Johnny? You mentioned the more clinical edge going forward. Was this uh, an improved Ulster on on the week before then? Very much so. Certainly, in terms of being able to break the opposition down. Now, there's an awful lot of variables to it. Like we talked about their travel issues last week. It was a, uh, it really was a filthy night the week before. It wasn't actually as bad on Monday as maybe it looked. I think on TV, um, certainly compared to the previous weeks. But I just thought that they were an awful lot sharper in terms of their carries. Like you had. Um, Marcel Bag obviously makes a big difference. I thought Carter carried the ball far better than really any game he's played for Ulster. I think um, John Andrew I thought carried the ball well, and I think you know if they hadn't played like that, then I don't think it would have taken them fifteen minutes to score a try the week before. If you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And I think that was the big. Um, the big difference for me that they looked more capable of, I suppose, bursting across the game line rather than thumping their head against it like they had done for a good chunk of the first half the week before. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have to say that working on the games, it is easier if they're not competitive towards the end of them because then you're not having to write and rewrite things. <laughs> yeah. So perhaps, you know, when you think about it, yeah, for the fans, they just want to keep winning. Um, but you know, from our point of view as well, it would be nice to see it, but it's not great for us either if we if if, if it's in, in the balance in yeah. about the seventy fifth minute. That's true. You're That's very true, actually. My... Match reports written at half time these days. Yeah, I still, uh, you know, have deep sorrow over my uh, frankly brilliant match report from the Edinburgh game that just uh, got discarded <laughs> after. 79 minutes had to, be, had to be started again. We should have published that as the alternative yeah, match report. Put it up anyway and say this is what could have been. Yeah. I don't think I would have done anybody any favours. <laughs> oh dear. So, Dona last, just on the, the point of those that forward play from Ulster, Dona makes the point that there was a, a noticeable increase in the pace that our one out runners were coming onto the ball. Combined with really aggressive clear-out at Rooks, it made for a hugely physical game. Is this the product of playing with confidence, or have you seen a progression towards this uh, in recent weeks? He says there's suggestions that it has been a continued work-on and it fits the collective speed narrative, but uh, the step-up in just that one game from the previous week to this week seemed fairly massive. Michael, what do you think? Has this been a, a progression in this uh, increased speed or is or is this just the product of, um, as he says, winning a few games and feeling good about themselves? Uh, no, I think it's something Dan McFarland has definitely brought with them to Ulster, um, the pace which they play the ball, the pace they clear right. And I think he, I think I heard a while ago and I can't remember, there's a certain time limit that he tries to produce in the training sessions to be able to produce the ball get it away and move it from uh, from the breakdown. He talked about the collective speed that they're trying to play with actually post-match against Glasgow when he was talking about John Andrew and the energy John Andrew brings to that side of things and how it also helps energise other players around him. With the general idea being that that is, and I think I quote him when I say that, that is the way, uh, a huge part in the way Ulster want to play. Um, you know, that, that collective speed of hitting the rocks, producing the ball and moving it away, whether it is to four, you know, the one-out runners forwards, either with tip-on passes or giving the ball a bit of width. Um, no, no, I think this is something Dan is very much one of Dan's mantras that, that he's brought with him and, and, and is constantly working on to improve. I roll my eyes at the phrase work-ons because it's just one of those uh, sporting and rugby cliches that should be oh, outlawed. I'll, learn, but, I'll, I'll start talking about learnings instead. <laughs> oh, no, it's even worse. But what else, is this, do you think, the main work on that Ulster have at the minute, Johnny? Or what else do you think they're sort of working on? Like, well, it's just wins are coming easy to them. What are the what are the areas that you reckon they're focusing on in, in training during the week? Well, I think that, you know, that is a huge focus under Don McFarland, that idea of, as Michael says, and Donald mentioned, the collective speed. It is continuing 
it will continue to be a focus because it's never going to be the finished article. Like, and I think in the past, Ulster has spoken about you know thinking that something's done and boxing it off, and then three weeks later it's fallen away a wee bit. So it's men- maintaining standards requires a work on as well, if you like. And I think it's interesting to hear Luke Marshall last week talking about how the intensity of training and the speed of the training is as good preparation as you can have for games. So to have that competitive element to training as well, I think I said this after the Dragons game, like there's a possibility that it was more, there were parts of training that are more competitive than some parts of that Dragons game. So you have to be able to maintain that, um, that intensity to training, especially at times like this when you are sort of, especially at home, essentially rolling over teams. Mm-hmm. How do you, I will... keep using work-ons from now on, Johnny, every time uh, Gareth asks this question, <laughs> or a combination of work and on somewhere in the answer. <laughs> well, the good thing is I have plenty of personal work-ons myself, so uh, <laughs> loads of opportunity. <laughs> Michael, is it hard, to, or how do we know how close these Ulster performances are, particularly that one on Monday night? How close is that to if they were playing Leinster? Do you know how close is that to being at the level required to win a trophy? Oh, that, no, that's a question. That's a question I need to work on the answer, Gareth, without trying <laughs> very, to be funny. But, very um, clever. <laughs> and that's a very hard one to answer. Yeah. You know, um, they, they are playing well, um, let's be honest. They are playing in situations where they're winning easily, so it's very, very difficult to say whether or not that is going to be enough to propel them through a knockout rugby um, towards that ultimate goal, that holy grail, you know, of getting their hands on some shiny stuff again. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an awful long way to go as well. We've only played five games. Um, but what I like about them this season, which I think maybe hasn't been the case in previous seasons, is the willingness to bring in players to change things. And it doesn't necessarily seem to lead to a fall-off performance so far and you know that might have been the case in previous times um, but it, it seems to be gelling quite well at the moment they seem to have a very firm and good idea of what they're about I mean that, that hitting the rug for instance I think for John Cooney's try when Ian Madigan decided to go himself I think it's Luke Marshall hits that rug so hard and releases that ball uh, he may have gone off his feet but that's how John gets that try in the end and and seeing things like Marcel could see it charging up out of the line. I like, didn't see the Glasgow player that he felled, but he hit him so hard the ball went loose. And Matt Fadis then does his great dribble down the pitch and scores. Um, all he's only yeah, offside. <laughs> well, yes, of course he is. Sorry, sorry, I beg your pardon. He was offside, but you know you, you get away with what you can get away with. And um, you know I, I just it it it's an impossible question to really answer, Gareth. Yeah. Would that yeah. be good enough? Um, well, you'd like to think it would certainly, they're building towards perhaps, shall we say this, I'll say this, they're building towards mounting a, a much more significant challenge towards the likes of, mm-hmm. say, Leinster when it might come down to it, but it is still very early. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, remember that people yeah. ask the same question about Leinster, like, whenever Leinster got beat by Saracens, the fact that they supposedly get such an easy ride in the Pro 14 was cited as the example. Yeah. Um, you know, it is more pronounced this season or more noticeable this season because you don't have the step up in intensity of Europe mm-hmm. as regularly as you would. Like we, yeah. we would never have this many Pro 14 games in a row yeah, before coming into Europe in the yeah. middle of December now. But a significant portion of the squad or a significant portion of the starting 15 will have been plenty battle-hardened by the fact that they've been playing international rugby for the past mm. two months by the time Europe rolls around. So there is that to remember as well. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, winning your opening five games through them with a bonus point cannot be a bad thing when it's uh, it's looked at in some ways, whenever it's looked at towards uh, that goal of winning a trophy. And it's certainly something that they, they haven't done in previous years. We can say, oh, want about the opposition, but... You have to say things are, are looking positive in terms of, of that progression towards that. 
Let's talk a little bit about John Cooney, another impressive display that will have surprised nobody. Maybe Andy Farrell, don't know, hard, hard to say what he thinks. Um, five conversions he kicked and Dan McFarland was very complimentary about his all-round display and in particular his kicking. So here's a little bit of uh, what Dan had to say after the game. Look, John, John's been playing really well. Uh, I thought some of his kicking was excellent tonight. Um, some really, really good box kicks that, that, that put them under pressure. Um, you know, like you guys will all talk about his little snipe down the left-hand side that set the try up at the end of the first half. His try, obviously, but you know, some of his uh, some of his control and his kicking was 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 really really super um, off the tee as well. Obviously, you know, he's. Uh, He's, he's doing a really good job for us. So, Michael, John Cooney then, back to his best? Um, yeah, getting I think so, getting very close to it. Um, he did play really, really well, I thought, against uh, Glasgow. Um, and it's not just a question of him slotting over, over kicks. His box kicking was on the money. Actually, Dan actually referenced that, uh, that it was right on the money. He, you know, his defence, his work in defence was prominent as well. I think at one point... Uh, I think late on when Ethan McElroy was clearing up a ball, he was inside him over the Ulster line, took the pass, or just on the Ulster line I think it was, and then booted him to touch. I think that was his last act in the game. So he, he got himself around the place, there were a little, it was a nice little break, he's try. Yeah, I mean, all, all round, I think John uh, looks to be very close uh, to where he was really before, should we say, pre-lockdown, um, or at least getting back to that, 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 that sort of area again after you know a few you know interesting situations there were a few off-color performances just immediately post-lockdown and of course um yeah we're gonna on to the the big question that's cost him his, his place in the ireland squad and he's still not there for the autumn nations cup but you know um ulster can benefit hugely from this uh, even if, if john's not terribly happy at not being able to get more international caps um it's to Ulster's benefit if he keeps playing like this, and if he keeps going, then it, it you know it's it's all good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Johnny Philip Totten, it's a bit of a two-part question. We'll go with the first part. Uh, based in form, surely Cooney should be in the Ireland squad. He said, I'm, I'm sure none of us will disagree with that. But he asked, does his age? Uh, he says he's the only uh, option for Ireland there, other than Murray, who's over thirty. Is that what's counting against him with Andy Farrell? think so like i don't think jameson gibson parks a particularly long-term prospect either like i think if you were to think solely long term then genuinely you would have craig casey in the squad already mm-hmm. um he's been fantastic for monster and is clearly i suppose who they think of as the long-term successor um person like i, I think marmion has been fairly harshly treated as well of late because he's been in good form too you know but um, what was the second part of the question, sorry? Oh, I haven't asked that yet. Well, I'm, I'm easing you in. So the second part of the question is, do you think John Cooney would consider a big money move at the end of his current contract if he continues to miss out on call-ups? Well, the thing to remember is, like, by the end of his current contract, so he's got this season plus next season, so, like... Okay. He'll be 32 at that stage anyway, and that's, with the exception of Sexton, really, the time when you would sort of start to be phased out of the Ireland panel anyway, you would think. Mm. Um, obviously, like, people make a big deal about central contracts and the longevity that that gives Irish players anyway. Um, to You know, Johnny Sexton at 35, um, Rob Carney up until the World Cup, Rory Best 37 up until the World Cup, but... I don't think that you would be making a decision at 32 based on your international prospects, personally. Um, and just, it's, it's maybe the same with McCluskey, like that extra year and the long-term commitment that they made when they signed those contracts to go up until 2022 probably takes a lot of that, um, if you like, frustration in the present out of the decision. Mm-hmm. Because we're not talking about them making a decision now. Yeah, they'll be thinking about contracts really in twelve months' time to be leaving in the eighteen months' time. So it's mm-hmm. it's in rugby terms, it's very far down the track with both of those players. Who you're looking at thinking that 
would Andy Farrell's current Ireland pecking order um, influence the decision? And I suppose at that stage you're hoping by another 18 months down the line, Ulster are another 18 months insignificantly closer to potentially winning a trophy. Perhaps we'll have won a trophy by then. So would that be enough to keep these boys? I suppose money talks at the end of the day, but um, there is that side of it to, to look at as well. Yeah, like there's a re- Not everybody plays for Ireland, but very, very few people leave Ulster when they can stay. Yeah. Or really leave Ireland when they can stay. But like Ulster haven't lost a player that they wanted to keep. Mm-hmm. He was really part of their first 15 since Pietai, and yeah. he can be seen as an outlier, really. So mm-hmm. every, everybody does it, and I probably do it myself. Like I know I certainly did it myself with Jordy Murphy last year. Um, but I think we can be. I think we need to be wary of putting too much stock into the, oh, he's not playing for Ireland, so obviously he's going to want to leave, especially at a time where there's not going to be massive money on offer anywhere, we assume. Well, yeah, that that could be a point too. Um, just on Cooney then, Michael, Jack asks, who is our best points kicker? Should John Cooney let others have a go? Madigan, Burns and Rob Little are all good. Now, John, of course, kicked five of his six kicks on Monday night there, um, but, but I don't know whether the point of the question is should Ulster be letting somebody else get a few reps in with those kicks a bit more often, um, just in case it, it's required down the track? Um, yeah, well, um, that that is a reasonable point, if, if that's the point that's being made. Uh, I feel bad now, I've, I've directly stolen that point from one of you two when we were chatting beforehand. I feel bad that I'm sort of claiming that as my own good thinking. So I'll just hand that back to whichever one of you actually made that point. Well, you don't really feel bad about it when you're talking <laughs> saying that. You don't feel bad about it at all. Um, well, we've got Billy Barnes and Ian Madigan, potentially as backup kickers. Um, give it to somebody else. Um, well, you've got, you've got Cooney, Burns and Madigan there. They're all capable of doing it. Uh, yes, Rob Little has done a bit of it. Um, even Stuart McCluskey did a bit of it once. Uh, um, three kickers, three people who, who who can go from the tee. It's not it's not bad in your squad. I don't really know that they necessarily have to get somebody else to do it in any way. How are you going to go about that unless you're actually <laughs> you're going to ask John not to kick in the game so somebody yeah. else can have a go or any of the the other two should John be off. Yeah, there are injury situations that might lead to that. Uh, and that's really how I think Rob Little and Stuart McCluskey went, uh, went at it. But um, I don't see it being a huge issue, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I really don't. Yeah. yeah. Like they, they do a lot of training, you know what I mean? It's not like yeah, Madigan true. and Little don't get to kick at all. Like They're kicking in training all yeah. the time and like in competition with Cooney. Yeah, but Cooney is the like uh, clear first choice for you guys, yeah? I think so. Like, Cooney, I certainly don't remember him missing any big kicks that you no. expected him to get. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think, I, sorry, I don't remember any game swinging negatively on Cooney's kicking. No, I'm plenty swinging the other way. Um, exactly, yeah. Luke Marshall then back for his first start since what was it February? Um, how did how did he get on 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 his return? Well, of course he returned off the bench the week before, but on his first start. Yeah, I thought he played pretty well. Um, given the nature of the results, like I think everybody looked like they played pretty well. But yeah. um, he was busy. He gives you um a good amount of organisation and a good amount of. Defensive and nice now, just a strong part of his game, and he has that experience as well. So that's something that maybe just through, I suppose, their own lack of experience, which is no knock on them, but then um, it's just because they're young that you don't have if you have Moore and Hume playing in there together. Yeah. Um, and he worked hard. Like it was not a particularly long outing, but it's a progression from the week before. So it'll stand them in good stead, and they'll keep building that up over the next few weeks, I guess. Michael, what did you make of the partnership of uh, Marshall and Mur? Um, yeah, it went okay. There were a few issues early on in the game. Um, I think the thing with Luke was he is just 
he is finding he's a huge experienced player and a guy you would really want to have but he's just finding his, his match fitness and he'd probably find it pretty I'd say pretty tough uh, you know doing I can't remember exactly how long he did but uh, um, I think actually Ulster's midfield is is, is pretty it, it's it's pretty good it's it's in a, it's in reasonably good health at the moment now, we don't know at the moment whether James Hume's injured or not but he may well be but you've got Marshall in there. You've Ian Faddis moved in there as well, um, and did a reasonably job. Louis Lillard could be out for a while, though they, they seem to him more seem they seem to see him more as a, as a sort of wing option now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think again, it's it's hard to judge just how well the two of them went because that was the first time they would have I would have thought played together, um, and it does take a bit of time to gel in, yeah. in a match situation. Uh, but I thought overall, they, you know, it, it worked fine. And if it went, if they went again with it uh, for the trip to Zebra, I don't think there would be any any particular issue. In fact, if anything, uh, you know, building that partnership um, and getting more game time the team together would be extremely beneficial. It's going to be interesting come the business end of the season, then, Michael. Isn't who gets the the nod for the big games in those those two spots? Yeah, it is. Um, it will be very interesting to see what way the Champions Cup works out. I think that's the key to uh, you know. A lot of what Dan McFarland's thinking may be geared towards ultimately in, in finding his best combination and his best lineup in, in right across the park, really, and in, in other mm-hmm. positions that might be up for uh, debate. Yeah. So, Michael Lowry, we'll have to mention him again. Another good performance um, and good work for what is it, one of the second half tries. Um, Johnny, say more nice things about Michael Lowry. Yeah, he's very good again. Like, um the sort of scamper through for the fifth try really made that score the pick of the bunch in my eyes. Um, but it really is like, and I can't put enough emphasis on this. Like that's the stuff that we knew that he could do. Yeah. The stuff that's impressive is his kicking out of hand um, as a fullback because it is different. He's yeah. having to make different kicks than he uh-huh. would have done playing a ten out of hand. But he's doing them really, really well. And he also just looks very tidy. Like, whenever the ball... That sort of short-kicking game in behind that we see so much because a lot of teams now are playing, I suppose, 14 in the defensive line with the fullback behind rather than 13-2 and two or even a sort of... more sort of pendulum-type thing where the wing will drop, drop in more often than not. Like, mm-hmm. fullbacks... I think personally are more isolated than they've ever been, but just because of the way the game is defended now. Yeah. So you think of those short kicks that have really been a huge part of an awful lot of teams' games to counteract that, that uh, just increased line speed in the defensive line, that just increased numbers in the defensive line. So the fullback has to be very alert to tidy all that up, and Mike Laurie's really, really doing that. Like you don't. You can't really think of any examples where there's been any degree of panic, really, mm-hmm. off the, the you know those balls played in behind. So that's what's been most impressive. The you know the footwork and the the spark that he brings is all the stuff that we all knew that he could do. Mm-hmm. The development of his game into um, that sort of sturdiness of fullback has been a massive thing these past uh, two weeks, I suppose. Yeah, as well. Wasn't he there? Or was it was Kennedy took the top penalty, and I think mm. it was Lowry who actually won that turnover on the ground. He jackaled him, didn't he? I think, which yeah. was another impressive, uh, you know, another impressive moment mm. uh, in the game. But no, you're absolutely right. He's making really, really good calls because you could get very isolated if you get things wrong. And uh, no, he's very, very impressive, isn't he? Looking good. It's just so because obviously we've been talking about it just physically we've been talking about him for so long and then he had those injury problems and he just never really got going it's just brilliant for him as much or more than anything that he's finally getting this getting this run and getting these plaudits that uh, we sort of we, we have said he's deserved for so long or that's going to come and now it just sort of feels nearly a bit of relief that it's it's happening for him yeah because like that's two, well more than two years now I think since that uh debut against Munster in Thoman Park um, yeah so that was the that was the early part of that season in 2018 mm-hmm. and then you know he's played big Champions Cup games 
played the quarterfinal, played away in Racing, played played against Lance or Leicester, sorry. Um at home, like he's been involved in in big games, but just to get that consistent run of game time without injury, and obviously like we're only talking about because he came off the bench against Dragons, so we're only talking about two games in ten minutes here. Um but to just be able to consistently build upon that through this um sort of November, December period into the new year would be massive, I think. Yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, he's get given the opportunity. So it well, Michael, you mentioned there um in the the course of your answer about the centres that we're not sure what the case is with uh, James Hume. Missed a couple of games now and um, potentially a bit of a worry? Um, potentially. Uh, we, we, we don't know what what it is, um, why he's not played. We are only surmising. I think he went off um, was quite late in that Dragons game, which may, may have suggested that there was a problem, uh, but we've heard nothing. Uh, Rob Little is another one who we don't know why we haven't seen him. Mm. Uh, so again, that that's that's pending. We we, we really don't know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that uh, it would be very unfortunate if he was injured. Um, and it's looking increasingly likely that he he may well be. Yeah, that's James Hume, that is. Yeah, and I think Rob Little because both of them have been playing uh, playing very well. Well, the press conference. Look, look at uh, Dwayne Peelup at the press conference this week, and he'll tell us. Yeah, <laughs> not what will happen, but you're right. You're absolutely right. He he tends to be a bit more a bit more chatty about who is and yeah. isn't. So <laughs> fingers crossed. Then, um, if we have it, do get any news of that at the press conference on Thursday. We will, of course, uh, bring that to you on Belfast Telegraph website and in the newspaper as well. So. Jack McGrath, of course, was pulled out after the warm-up. There's nothing to worry about there, I think I'm right in saying, John. Yeah, well, Dan said afterwards that it was just a precaution. Like, um, watching the warm-up, like, he was, he looked very uncomfortable for a long period of time. Like, he went over against the posts and he was with the physios and then Dan came over just all sort of still while the warm-up was going on and he really did sort of hobble out of the warm-up but then I suppose that was probably about 8 o'clock and then 10 past he came out from the tunnel and walked across the pitch towards where they would um, normally exit and he looked even in that amount of time to be walking a lot more a lot more smoothly than he had been when he was leaving the pitch so it, you know it could just be some sort of lower leg issue um, that he felt during the warm-up, but it certainly looked like it had a big enough improvement even just in that sort of 15 minutes span. Yeah. Well, perhaps he'll be back then in time for the next game, which is away to Zebra on Monday evening. Uh, that That's the earlier kickoff slot again at 6 o'clock. So, Michael... Five wins in a row, three bonus points. All of those have come at home. Is this an opportunity to get that first away bonus point? Well, uh, yeah, it could be. Um, though you'd have to say Zebra are well, they have been going a little bit better than you might have expected. They were very unlucky to lose um, at the Scarlets, mm. and then before that, before that, they beat the Ospreys. Uh, again, maybe. That's a, a tricky enough judgment as to how good they are because they're beating the, those two Welsh regions. But mm-hmm. I think certainly, you know, Dan Dan McFarland will be looking to to get yet another win. And I think, you know, I think they probably would be quite disappointed if they didn't get a maximum pointer. But do bear in mind that it could well be that Zebra do give them, uh, you know, in a way like Benetton managed in in the first game, give them more of a rattle than you might have been expecting. Okay. Although, Johnny, surely a bonus point in a game like this is where we really start to say that's where they're making strides to close that gap on Leinster. We're not that far detached from Ulster <laughs> losing over in Zebra twice. So, yeah. Um, but yes, you know, Leinster at the minute are in an even stranger position maybe than they were last year because it's not now a case of 
thinking that they're going to win every game. You actually think that they're going to take five points yeah. for every <laughs> game. And obviously it wasn't Dublin, but like I watched that Leinster's ever game live and Leinster absolutely destroyed them yeah. to the point where whenever they beat Ospreys, you were sort of doing a double take then because, you know, I'd watched them the week before. Like it, it didn't make any sense then that they'd um, managed to turn over the Ospreys. And then yeah. they were what, five minutes and, and a couple of missed kicks away from beating Scarlet. So, like, they only lost that game by a point. They missed uh, missed a couple of conversions, I think, um, to lose that game. And this is traditionally a time when you would want to play Zebra because they lose such a high proportion of their players and their quality players to Italy, obviously. Same as, same as Glasgow, you know, they've mm-hmm. only got two, two pro teams. They're calling in club players normally, but... There's probably enough out of those last two results just to remind Ulster that this is a game that, um, while on paper certainly looks like the easiest of their three away games so far, might not be. So this could be the one? This could be the one you mentioned last week where there'll be an outlier? There'll be one defeat from somewhere? This could be it? <laughs> I, I doubt there'll be a defeat, but you know, I mean, Johnny, right, they have had trouble there in the past. But I think Zebra could, you know, Ever could put it to them, could do that. It, it, it is, it is yeah. a difficult. It's difficult to judge because um, you know neither the Ospreys nor the Scarlets are, are really, should we say, in vintage sort of form really at the moment. But um, it could just uh, you know make Dan and the boys a bit more, you know, mm. make them battle a wee bit more for this one. Yeah. What can we expect squad wise? Then there were what seven changes in the end for. The, the Glasgow game when we expect that sort of rotation to continue probably not to the, the same levels well like you said I suppose Marshall coming back in and the loss of your Ireland players for yeah. that game so or sorry, sorry the loss of McCluskey I suppose <laughs> when I say Ireland players McCluskey and Burns, and Burns were yeah. two of those changes um, which you're not going to have this week but I do think more so than at any other stage certainly that I've been covering Ulster like can't predict the team yeah. because 40 players you know everyone talks about the 56 or 53 or whatever it is by Leinster in the last couple of years but for us to have used 40 players and not really had a tremendous amount of drop off from anyone that's come in mm-hmm. really is I suppose the most impressive thing about their five wins so far Absolutely. Uh, and if you're talking about where are you going to make changes? Like, say Jack McGrath is fit, he could come in for Eric O'Sullivan, and you're not going to get too much of a drop off. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got Carter captain decide last week, or, well, sorry, this week. Mm-hmm. Next week, Alan O'Connor could come in, and you're not going to lose anything there. You look at the back row, Jordy Murphy wasn't even involved in that game. So, while. In years past, you would have looked at heavy rotation as a means to potential for something of a disaster. Mm-hmm. Now, I think Dan feels like he can rotate and feels like he can rotate in large numbers mm-hmm. without really losing an awful lot. Because, yes, there are still players like Kutsia. There are still players like Cooney. There are still players like Marty Moore, even, where if they're coming out then you feel like the player that's coming in isn't going to be as central a cog as, yeah. say, those guys are. But they're at a posi- they're in a position, I think, where they can make seven changes and you're not looking at the team thinking it's a weaker team than the one before. Mm-hmm. Which, again, speaks volumes of the, the journey that Dan's bringing them on towards being Leinster. <laughs> yeah. Just, just yeah. a couple of things. I would have thought it would have been interesting to see if Tom Long would too brought in now because I, I think he was training in the warm up okay. and he hasn't yeah, been seen for a while Dan whenever we spoke to him in the press or the week before had said that he was still part of the rehab group which made it probably not because of what Dan said but just I suppose in our own heads made it sound like he was further away than maybe than maybe he was um, like what you know Dan, whatever Dan Soper said was true you know, he was still in the rehab group at that time, but that, I suppose, made it sound like 
he would be for quite some time when he was out warming up. He was doing a bit of um, one-on-one scrummaging drills in the warm-up, which he probably wouldn't have been doing um, if he was still having trouble with the calf, given how intensive on the calf muscles that would be. Mm. Andy Warwick was another one who was out during the warm-up. Um, he we haven't seen since his his own hip injury, lots of hip injuries, and um, yeah, Aaron Sexton was out with him as well. Well, that's because let... Marty Moore would need to surely be rested. Um, he's gotten a lot, you know, yeah. done a lot of mileage. And also, I was wondering about Marcel Katsia. Did he actually go off with an injury, or was he substituted? I, I couldn't. But it just, it, like, it just looked like he went off to me whenever the game was won. Because um, yeah. he was which... down one point yeah it was just I suppose in that sort of spate of substitutions and Dan had said afterwards that he was that he was fine if you uh, take that at face value to me it just looked like you know the guys had been coming back so Marcel Luke Marshall you know once the game was won which was really sort of with that fifth try and then the sixth try didn't take that much longer to come after that um, that that was the time where they were just like right you know, use the bench. Yeah. yeah, it's just because when they have him, they're they're a slightly different animal, and it would be it would be yeah. better for them, I think, if he was able to make the trip to Parma. But yeah. they can, they can, they can obviously operate without him. But um, I think it would be better for them if they could get him there. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, move on to Ireland then, who play Wales in Dublin on Friday evening. Uh, that's the start of the Autumn Nations Cup. Billy Burns, of course, on the bench, as I think it was Michael mentioned earlier. So in all likelihood, he's going to get his Ireland debut. How much of an opportunity is there for him to stake a claim to become more of a, a regular fixture in that Ireland squad and the Ireland match day panels as well? It's a massive opportunity because nobody's really nailed down that um, 22 jersey to back up the Sexton. Um, when you think about... Obviously, you know, you've got Harry Byrne coming through at Leinster, but again, we talked about it before, Sexton's 35, so he's not the long-term answer. Billy Burns is 10 years younger than Johnny Sexton. Um, and while everybody's talking about Harry Byrne, like it's a foregone conclusion that he's the ultimate successor, it's not going to be. Like There's a chance for, in the continued absence of Joey Carberry, and when Joey Carberry comes back, we don't know whether he's going to be concentrated as a fullback or concentrating on playing out half. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity to nail down the back up the Sexton and then that in itself creates an opportunity to be Sexton's successor just by getting a jump start on those slightly younger players that aren't in the panel yet. Yeah, well, it's going to be really interesting just to see how he, how he goes. Fingers crossed he can uh, put in a, a good performance and get another chance Um before too long well fingers crossed he gets he gets enough of an opportunity to put in a good performance rather than the like 30 seconds that John Cooney used to get yeah we'll see how uh, we'll see how Sexton reacts to coming off this time Burns, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Burns could get lamped on the way off the pitch um, Jacob Stockdale retained at 15 Michael last week we had sort of suggested that it might not be a massive surprise if he was uh, was brought out just in terms of um, giving other players minutes but the fact that he's kept in is probably an indication that Andy Farrell just wants him to keep getting as many minutes as, as possible in that 15 shirt for Ireland yeah, I would have thought so. I think the message would have been sent out if he had been left out of the 23. After everything that, that happened in Paris and, and happened subsequently to it, with him coming out and doing media and so much being written about his performance, um, I think it would have sent a different message if he hadn't yeah. been in the 23. So he's he's out there again and um, we'll get another opportunity. I, I mean, clearly Andy Farrell does think that this is a position that he can play. So he, he's going to stick with it at the moment. Uh, whether or not he's there for Twickenham, it, it would be a very a very interesting uh, development. Yeah. Um, we'll watch that one very closely. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think uh, it's given him a vote of confidence and it's also important, very important for him to put in um, you know, a much, uh, a much more cohesive display all around in, yeah. this, in this game on, um, on Friday night. Absolutely, fingers crossed. 
just quickly, Johnny, Stuart McCluskey, still still not in the Ireland squad. I feel like I might get into an Ireland match day squad before Stuart McCluskey at this stage. Uh, well, I do think that um, the, select, the selection policy for this week hasn't ha- helped him because it's obviously so much debate about whether they should be used as experimentation given there's no world ranking points given that it's not the six nations given that there's not going to be anybody in the stadium so on and so forth um lots of reasons to just use this as a proper friendly and you get i suppose the flip side of that coin is trying to build momentum from what was a fairly i suppose definitive defeat in in paris and building towards that 2021 Six Nations and especially knowing that you've got a trip to Twickenham which has been fairly horrible since, well sorry, playing England has been fairly horrible anytime it's happened since 20, since 2018. So with all that in mind it's almost like you've got a sort of halfway house selection where there are chances for guys like, you know, Conor Murray's not playing, James Gibson Park is playing, Bondiaki's not playing, Chris Farrell is, but like it's not it's not the full-on 13-14 changes that we expect to see for the normal sort of November fixture um, where Stuya has got a couple of his caps before, I think USA, um, maybe the last one, um, that would fall mm-hmm. into that category. So I suppose by virtue of being the fourth-choice centre yeah. and they're not being the amount of changes that would necessitate the fourth choice centre playing, that's where he's fallen down because, you know, we saw for the Italy game that Farrell, Chris Farrell, sorry, not Andy Farrell, that Chris Farrell was still ahead of him. And then that's remained. Like, Andy Farrell was certainly keen to see him play for Ulster, to get him playing for Ulster in that uh, Dragons game, but that's still the only game he's had mm-hmm. since to lose. And it's like, so he'll catch 22 because yeah. I suppose because of these COVID situation, you don't want him traveling back and forth freely. You want, but, so you want him with Ireland, but you want him to get game time, but you don't yeah. want him, you don't want to just throw him into a test match when he's only played one game. And I'm quickly becoming aware that you said, answer this question quickly, and I babbled <laughs> on. So, <laughs> yeah. It would be a bad job, to be fair, if Andy Farrell was ahead of him in the pecking order as well as Chris Farrell. I think that might be time for him just to give it up. <laughs> yeah, you, you wouldn't know. Um, Andy Farrell's still a good nick, to be fair. Like he, he looks like he's still a job. Still a You mentioned there the COVID-19 restrictions and things and the not being sort of free movement in and out of the Ireland squad. We had a couple of questions that were hinting at potential late call-ups for... Some of the younger members of the Ulster squad, the likes of Hume, O'Sullivan or uh, Stuart Moore, will the, that sort of quarantine requirement or is there a quarantine requirement uh, for those late call-ups that might prevent them getting a, an Ireland chance over the, the coming weeks? Well, the players have been in a bubble in Carden House and will remain in a bubble um, for the duration and a strict enough one like we spoke about either last week or the week before, but as we've seen with John Cooney, additions can't be made. Like, the guys are getting tested in the provinces and with Ireland as well. So, like, John Cooney, as an example, would have been tested before he played that game against Dragons and basically after the game, had to jump in his car and off he went um, down the car yeah. So, it's not like, it's not like you can't be called up it yeah. just means that basically you're not seeing the same usual back and forth. And then part of it as well is Monday fixtures after Friday games and the, you know things like that yeah. aren't going to help anybody because there's a possibility. Say, for example, if you were needed, an injury happened in training and you were needed this week. If you played for Ulster on the Monday, then you're talking about basically a three-day turnaround. Mm. Yeah, which isn't ideal, obviously. So, final question then, uh, before we uh, we wrap up, comes in from Johnny, which is uh, a little bit of a curveball question, he says. Which Ulster player is going to be the next Gareth Steenson? He asks, as in a, a fantastic young player who is forced out due to the depth chart at Ulster. We'll need to light it up somewhere else. Well, I think that's a 
interesting one. Will there be another Gareth Steenson in the near future, do we think? Well, Tommy Seymour was the next Gareth Steenson. <laughs> okay, well, will there be a new I, Tommy to Seymour then? Tommy Seymour went on to be a lion. Yeah, Chris Farrell. All right, Chris Farrell. All right, well, is there going to be a next Chris Farrell? For goodness sake, you know what he means. Sorry, yeah. No, I was merely making the point that it happens. You know, it's not like, it's not something that happens once a decade. So, yes, chances are that it will happen again because we've already seen it happen since. What do you call the guy McKee at Leinster? Sorry, I'm doing it now. Yeah, John McKee at Leinster. Different situation, obviously, but yeah. he could be a native Ulsterman that succeeds elsewhere. Um, the thing is, with the championship, at the way things are with the rugby championship in England, it's. I think you're probably going to see less players going over, so that avenue, in a way, could become more difficult. Um, but I suppose to answer the question, Angus Kernahan is probably the current one playing at the highest level mm-hmm. elsewhere so mm-hmm. if you were if you were a betting man you put your money on Kernan. there we go and that's that before we go then very quickly any score predictions for zebra ulster michael give us a score prediction there a score prediction oh yeah my God. um i will go with uh 30 15 to ulster no sorry 30 20. 30-20, alright, with a bonus point? Um, possibly. <laughs> alright, we'll, we'll, we'll allow you possibly. 1-0, away <laughs> win. Okay. Don't so, be predicting 1-0 away wins this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not the week for it. No, it's not. Well, maybe it is, it would make for a less stressful... Uh, Summer of 2021, if not, I definitely couldn't say that if this is a football podcast, but I'm just hoping that none of our rugby listeners will sell me out to any of the, the Northern Ireland fans later in the week. Gareth wants the back eight a win, and we're already missed the cup this week, just <laughs> <Yeah>. so he sends <laughs> it for the rest of the weekend. Well, that'll do us then for, uh, for this week before you just get me in any more trouble. So, from Jonathan Bradley. Cheers, thank you. Well, Michael Sadler. Thank you very much. Bye. And myself, Gareth Allen. Thanks for listening.